Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church for our Sunday school hour for July 30th. Uh, moving into August, school's going to be starting in just a matter of days. And I hope you've enjoyed your summer. And um, we would like to think as we move into the start of school that things will be cooling down. But I uh, kind of doubt that's going to happen. But we'll make it. And it's good to be with you again as we look in Galatians. Uh, open your Bible and look in Galatians 3. And we're going to cover verses 9 through 14. Now we've entitled this, The Curse is Gone, because that is such an important uh, thing to know and to actually experience. Um, when you think about it, look at the introduction that we have in the lesson book, that we don't become sinners. Uh, we're born sinners, and we're born in the curse of the law. We're sinners by nature, and we're also sinners by choice. Um, if you think about it, uh, we sin because it's our nature to do that, but we also sin because we like it. Um, if you put a, um, the old illustration, if, if you put down a uh, bowl with lettuce in it and you put down a bowl with uh, meat in it and then you take a rabbit and a dog, you can predict about 100% of the time which bowl they're going to go to. It's their nature. But because it's their nature, they enjoy it. The rabbit's not really interested in the meat, but uh, certainly enjoys the lettuce. And if you're like we are at our house, we got a ton of rabbits all around there. And uh, they also like stuff in your flower garden too, stuff they're not supposed to eat. And uh, they do it because they enjoy it. And they do it because it's their nature. And then the same way we sin and uh, we do it because it's our nature to sin. Uh, it, it was said one time, we don't become sinners by sinning. We sin because we are already a sinner by nature. So it kind of works both ways, nature and choice. We do it because we're drawn to that, because we're depraved. And we also do it because we actually like it. Okay? And so uh, we'll go on here. Because of this, even the things we do that would be righteous are unacceptable to God. They're tainted. And I've used the illustration preaching before about, uh, you know, how I used to in high school, I, I worked at a pizza place. And if I made you a pizza and it had the best dough in it and it had the best freshest sauce and all of the cheese and the veggies and everything were good and the meat that was on it was good, except for one thing, I went and got the uh, mushrooms out of the yard and just use toadstools for that, you probably wouldn't eat the pizza, even though I might argue that the vast majority of it is really, really good. But the bad mushrooms would taint all of it. And, and we could come up with a lot of different illustrations. You could probably come up with one, uh, those of you who are teaching, that is uh, much better than the one that I used. Some people use the thing of taking a glass of pure Rocky Mountain spring water before Coors gets a hold of it and uh, maybe putting some kind of poison in it, just a few drops. Uh, it taints the whole thing. Well, that's the way our lives are, that as we offer them up to God, look at all of my righteousness, look at everything that I've done. It's tainted because of our sin nature. We always have an ulterior motive. We always want something out of it except what we're really supposed to do, and that is to do it for the Lord 
and out of obedience to the Lord and for the Lord's glory. Now, because of that, all of humanity is, uh, the Bible says, under a curse because of our sin. Now, the big question is, how do I get rid of that? What do I do about that? If everything that I offer to God, I mean, I can go to church till the cows come home. I can preach sermons till the uh, end of time and maybe even preach great sermons and the best and the grammar is perfect, the illustrations are perfect, and even the points are perfect and accurate. But if I do it in my own strength and I do it in my own flesh and I have never been born again, then even those things would be uh, unacceptable to God. Much less, what if all of the things, what if God took me and he judged me according to all the things that I've done that are wrong, and think about the Ten Commandments and how many times you violated the simplest of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've stolen, maybe you have borne false witness, maybe you have failed to honor your father and your mother, those kind of things, which ought to be pretty easy for us to do. But how many times did you fail to do it? Think about when you were a kid. Think about when you were a teenager. Think about even when you were a young adult. And uh, we, we do those things almost without thinking because we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. We're just like Adam and Eve. Don't tell me I can't eat from that tree. What are you, what are you trying to hold out on me? Because instead of being thankful for all the trees they could eat from, the issue was the one that they couldn't, and they were going to do what they wanted to do. So sin can be the things that you do. We call those sins of commission. We commit those sins. But then there's also the sins that are listed as sins of omission. What does that mean? Things that we don't do, but should have done. We don't do it, but we should have done it. Okay? You, you grew up like that. What if your mom told you when you were a kid, I'm going to be gone. I'm going down to the neighbors. I'm going to take them a meal because Mrs. Jones is sick. And when I get back, I want your bed to be made and I want your toys to be put up and I want you to uh, be dressed. Okay. Or something like that. Or maybe get your homework done, whatever it might be. And uh, then mom comes back and none of those things are done. Now, did you do something that was actually wrong? It wasn't like you, you know, marked up all the furniture and tore everything up. You didn't do that. You failed to do what you were supposed to do. And we forget about all of that. Whenever anybody talks about their life and they say, well, I'm really not all that bad, they're usually looking at things they did. For example, <clears throat> how would this work? I didn't murder anybody today. I ought to be really proud of that. And can you imagine a cop or a judge or somebody else? They go, well, you shouldn't have murdered somebody. That's just what you ought to do. You don't get credit for that. But then again, if I were to uh, be fined by a judge and he says, you were speeding. And, uh, you know, and I think, oh, speeding's not that big a deal. It's not like I murdered somebody. See where I'm going there? And uh, the cop writes me a ticket. I sign it, which basically is pleading guilty to the charge. And I never pay the fine. I never go to court. What do you think is going to happen? Well, if you let that pile up, it's, it's going to be really bad. What if a person, uh, let's say that they were practically a walking angel. And let's say that um, 
They didn't sin very often compared to everybody else. And uh, they, they just, you know, maybe three sins a day, you know, three bad thoughts maybe, because that's the other thing we look at. Sin can be the things that you should have done uh, or things that you did that you know you're not supposed to do, or it could be things that you know you were supposed to do, but you just never did it, like praying, honoring the Lord, reading the word of God, you know, those kind of things. And then it can also be, Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've uh, committed adultery in your heart. Or if you've hated someone, you have murdered them in your heart. God looks at the thoughts, the motives, and all of that. So let's say we have a person, let's say it's you, and you only have one bad thought, that's all you do, one bad thought every day. And yet it's a sin, and God charges it as a sin. <clears throat> let's say that uh, maybe... You've got it uh, down to where you uh, just do maybe three sins a day. Just, just three, three bad thoughts a day. Let's bump it up just a little bit. Uh, that would be over a thousand sins in a year, right? And if you live to be 70 years old, that would put you up somewhere at the 70,000 sin mark. Little sins, sins that you don't think matter a whole lot. But can you imagine if you stood before a judge with... 70,000 unpaid parking tickets. Not a big deal. It's not like you murdered somebody, but I got a feeling he'd throw the book at you. And in the same way, when we judge our lives, we tend to look at the things, well, I, I didn't murder anybody and I didn't rape anybody and I didn't burglarize anybody and I you know, didn't do anything like that. So I, I think I'm really pretty good until you start thinking about, it's not just about what you do, it's about what you didn't do that you were commanded to do. Think about the Ten Commandments. And it's also about the things that you think and the motives that are behind what you do. You see, if I do all of the right things, but I do it for the praise of man, now how am I being obedient to God? And if I do all the right things, but I do it with a, a terrible, terrible motive. I'm resenting it. I'm angry about it. And I'm only doing it because God made me do it or something like that. Do you think I'm going to get positive credit for that? This is where we live. And it means that we can sin even when we're not completely aware of our sin. We're not really thinking about it being sin. In fact, our judgment is it really wasn't all that bad. It's not that we don't call it sin. It's just not a bad sin, right? And there are degrees of sin, of course. And so this is the way that we live. So how do we ever get out of this? How is it that we are ever going to get free from this and ever to be acceptable to God? And that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus Christ came to earth and he lived a life that we can't even imagine living. No bad thoughts, no bad motives, never forgetting to do and neglecting to do what God commanded and always doing what God commanded. Everything was righteous that came out of his life. And that made him like the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, of course, was a picture of Christ, the unblemished lamb. And did you know that Passover lamb, whenever the, they got ready for it, when they chose that lamb, they brought it into the house with them. That lamb lived among them. Can you imagine? They're if you had little children, they're petting the lamb and they're playing with the lamb and all of that. Then you have to slaughter the lamb and put the blood on the, 
doorpost and the lentils of your house. Can you imagine what that was like? It's a picture, a picture of Jesus coming to us, living and dwelling among us. And in the book of John in the first chapter, it says he came to his own and his own received him not. Shocking, that, that, that's amazing. You would think they would have been looking for him and welcome him with open arms, but they didn't. And then he was crucified. And that Passover lamb is a picture of that. Jesus is the unblemished lamb. John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Think about all those images uh, that are used there and those metaphors. And the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God is an unblemished sacrifice, right? And Jesus is the only one who is the unblemished sacrifice. Not you, not me, not the Pope, not Billy Graham or anybody else. Only Jesus could fulfill that particular sacrifice. That's why the gospel is so beautiful. Jesus did it for us, for us. Now, let's read our verses. For as many as are of the works of the law, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know what Paul just said? God's standard is not keep most of the law most of the time. His standard is keep all of the law all of the time. Well, who can do that? That's why we needed a savior. And so we are under the curse outside of Jesus Christ because we can't possibly do all of that. Verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the light of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Notice that's in quotation marks. See, this isn't something that Paul just dreamed up or came up with one day. This is something that he read in the Old Testament. It's perfectly clear. As we've tried to make it uh, clear throughout this, there's not a, a one way for the Jews and another way for the Gentiles. There's not one way of salvation in the Old Testament and another in the New. It's always been the just shall live by faith, okay? Right out of the Old Testament. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. In other words, if you're counting on your good works and keeping the law, that that's going to be pleasing to God, you're accountable not only for some of them or most of them, you're accountable for all of them. You have to live by the law. If that's going to be your standard, if that's what you're doing, you've got to keep them all and you've got to keep them all the time. And when he says the law is not of faith, he's not saying that faithful people never kept the law because certainly Moses did and Jesus did. You know, those kind of people that we look to as heroes in the Bible, they did it, but it's the motive for keeping it. You see, the Pharisees did it because they thought that made them better than everybody else. I'm not a common everyday sinner. Oh, I may have my problems, but remember the Pharisee and the publican in the temple, the Pharisee said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, even this tax collector. And that's the problem. Pride exalted them. And they were coming when the Bible says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Well, that's what that Pharisee was basically doing. He's commending himself to God on the basis of how good he is and how bad that uh, person next to him was. Look how much better I am than them, O Lord, is basically what he was saying. So he was boasting in all of that, and he wasn't giving God the glory for it. He was saying, this is what I have done. This is what I have performed. This is what my life is like, and you ought to really be happy with that. And he couldn't see his own sin. He couldn't see his pride. He couldn't see his arrogance. And he certainly wasn't going to talk about the times when he stumbled in the law, thinking that, uh, well, it, it was just a small stumble. It doesn't really matter. But Paul points out that those who are going to um, be a part of the law and the man that does them shall live by them. You're under the obligation to do it all, all the time. The problem is by the time you realize that, it's too late. You've already broken the law. By the time you're conscious of the law, by the time you are conscious of what it means to break the law, you've already done it. And then you're guilty of all of the law. Okay? Every part of you then is poisoned and tainted by sin. So this is the kind of thing that if you will let that sink in, this is a dilemma. How do we get out of this? And how is it that anything is ever going to go right for us? How do we gain eternity and how do we gain eternal life? And we tend to think it's something that we earn. It's something that because, you know, and, and I've seen this at funerals, you know, grandma was just, if, if, if there ever was a saint, it's grandma. Oh, we're really, why do you say that? And so many times they don't go back to grandma was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and received the righteousness of Christ. You know where they go to? Oh, she was in church every time the doors were open. And boy, she read that Bible and she knew that Bible and she fed poor people and all that. Well, all of that's good. In fact, that's all great, except that it falls short of saving you because nobody ever does any of those things perfectly and does them all the time. And we don't become a saint because we act nice and because we were kind and because we gave you know, cookies to little children and because we changed a flat tire for somebody, your moto widow's grass, all good things. But all of those are inadequate to save us because we never do them perfectly and with the right motive. So he gets to verse 13 after he makes that statement that if you're going to live by the law, you die by the law. Verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us and redeem means he's bought us purchased us. And notice the next phrase, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, going back to the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, what did Jesus die on? He died on a cross, a cross made out of wood, and sometimes we call it a tree. And he was hanging up there, and the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, Paul explained that by saying he became a curse for us. So God took the curse that was on you because you couldn't please him and you couldn't obey his law. I mean, my goodness, Adam and Eve only had one and they couldn't keep that. Now you've got all these things that God says in his word and you can't keep it and you want to excuse it and say it's no big deal or boys will be boys or something inane like that. And so you don't realize that you are under the curse of the law. 
The law does not save you. The law condemns you. The law reveals how sinful you really are, and the law can do nothing to clean you up or take that curse away because you can't actually keep the law like you might want to or like you might even think that you are, right? None of us can. And so that's why Christ came. And it says, uh, Christ became a curse for us when he died on the cross and God took all of our punishment that we deserve and put it on Christ. This is essentially what Paul is saying. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Boy, that's true. He was cursed for us. And then he says on verse 14, why did he do this? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, and we get that through faith. Faith, what kind of faith? Not just faith in faith, but your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. So I could be sitting here in this chair with all the faith in the world that this uh, chair can take me to Tulsa and uh, we can fly and get there quicker. But the problem is, no matter how much faith I have, this chair is inadequate to take me on that uh, particular trip that I might want to take. And so when we come to salvation, we put our faith in something. Are you putting it in yourself? Well, that's the problem. It's inadequate. Your works can never save you because they will never be acceptable to God. But when you put your faith in Christ, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, because I'm a great sinner, but he's an even greater savior. His promises are true. And I lean upon the promises of Christ, the work of Christ, and the fact that Christ is acceptable and I'm in him, it makes me acceptable to God. That is a strange thing because I know I don't look acceptable. I know I don't act acceptable, but I'm not trusting in the way I look. I'm not trusting in the way I perform. I'm trusting in what was done for me by Jesus on the cross. So many people miss salvation at that point. They still think it's something that they can do. And they may even tell you, because they've been in church enough, oh, I know I didn't earn it, but that's what they really think, and that's the way they really act. And they'll say things like, going back to the grandma was a saint thing. Well, if anybody's in heaven, it's her. Boy, she... And then they start naming things that grandma did. That tells me, and it worries me, because it tells me they don't really understand the gospel. Salvation is something that was done for me by a perfect, all-sufficient Savior. And we don't trust in what we have done or what we've prayed or what we felt or what our emotion was. We trust in the fact that Jesus died for me on the cross of Calvary. So our points, number one, God requires 100% obedience 100% of the time. Now, who can do that? Who can do it? And we know instinctively we don't do that. And that's in verse 10. If we're under the law, then we are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now think about that. That's a heavy, heavy, heavy burden. I uh, remember in high school, I had a friend, my friend who has ALS that... We played one of his sermons not too long ago. He's a great guy, very smart. And I remember it was our senior year, 
that uh, I met him somewhere in our common area of our high school and uh, I noticed something wasn't quite right and I said, what's the matter? And he goes, I got a B in, in some class and I'm like, you got a B? What's wrong with a B? And he goes, I just now disqualified myself from becoming valedictorian. Had he made an A in that class, he would have been one of the valedictorians of our class. We had several. But because of that, he uh, dropped. And he dropped uh, to where uh, he was still like maybe number eight in our class, but he wasn't a salutatorian or a valedictorian. That's how tight it was there. And I remember laughing and he said, what are you laughing for? And I said, oh man, I got that out of the way in ninth grade. By the time I got into ninth grade, it was clear I wasn't going to be valedictorian. I didn't have to worry about it and I didn't have to get disappointed by making a B when I was a senior like he did. Can you imagine living like that and thinking that you have done everything necessary <clears throat> to gain eternal life, only to find out that you're like the guys in Matthew 7. Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not work many miracles in your name? And in that day, I will say to them, Jesus said, depart from me, workers of iniquity. What? How in the world can doing miracles and prophesying in the name of Jesus and casting out demons, how can you call that sinful? Well, it's because if you're depending upon yourself, you better be right. And you better be right 100% of the time about 100% of what God's commanded. You always sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is what Paul says. And boy, is that ever true. And those people are going to find out when they stand before the Lord that all of their good works, all of their so-called righteousness was completely inadequate. And they're going to find out that uh, they thought they had the valedictorian thing sewed up, but they didn't because no one can. Christ is the only one who is the valedictorian of our class, let's say. And he shares that with us. And so uh, we see this even in James 2, 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails or stumbles in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, uh, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Let's say that I murdered uh, eight people and I become the next ser serial killer and uh, in America. And I go before the judge and the judge says, how do you plead in the guilt in the murder, pardon me, of these eight people, guilty or not guilty? And I go, uh, well, judge, let's talk about this because there's about a million people in the Oklahoma City metro area and I only murdered eight of them. Man, that's a low percentage. Look, the good outweighs the bad in my life. What do you think he's going to say? He's probably going to say, Mr. Keenan, you're not on trial for the murders you didn't commit. You're on trial for the murders you did commit. And the whole force and weight of the justice system and the law is going to come down on me. That's what James is saying. You can't pick and choose all of this. The weight of it's all going to come down on you through an eternity in hell. And so uh, we uh, can't come before God on our own uh, morality or anything else. Number two, human imperfection is clearly evident 
We, we just know it. Everybody knows. I don't find people very much anymore that tell me, uh, I'm not a sinner. You know, did you know that you sin? Well, of course I sin. The problem is they don't think it's any big deal. And they say, well, preacher, everybody's pencil needs an eraser, doesn't it? Ha <laughs> yeah, I sin. And uh, to quote Billy Joel, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Ha ha ha. I'll just go to hell where my buddies are and we'll crack open a six pack and we'll just have ourselves a big party. Nobody takes sin seriously anymore. We redefine it and we call evil good and good evil. And uh, verse 11 says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. Well, it's evident for the just shall live by faith. Who does that? Who has perfect faith? Who has complete faith? Who is it that never wavers in their faith? And who is it that keeps all of the law all of the time? We know that we don't. And we don't even really claim to do that. And that's why we need someone who can. God's standard is high. God's standard is high. Be perfect as your Father in heaven also is perfect, the Bible says. So um, when we look at this, we see it clearly that, um, and we see it really clearly in others. Have you ever noticed whenever you uh, are in Walmart and there's an unruly child, well, you know what you would do with that child. Boy, that child, because you said something like this, boy, they better be glad they're not my kid. Why? Because you think you can handle it and you can see their flaws. We can criticize other people in their marriage, other people in their morals, other people in their work ethic and other people in their wisdom, but we really don't see our own flaws and therein lies the problem. We see it clearly in others, but not so much in ourselves. Well, and here we are, I made reference to the Pharisee and the publican, and you can read about that in Luke 18, 11, and the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Proverbs chapter 20, verse six says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness. That's easy but who can find a faithful man? There's the problem. None of us, none of us pass the test of complete and total faithfulness. So we need to understand that the commandments are not a ladder to heaven, but they are a mirror for revealing our imperfection and our need for a savior. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. So trusting in the law is basically trusting in yourself and not trusting in Christ. Number three, <clears throat> the innocent Messiah took the curse and its punishment from us. And that's uh, found starting in verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Now, this is what we mean when we talk about trusting in the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it for us. He took the punishment for us. Now let's be clear. The punishment that Christ took was not nails in his hands and feet. The punishment that Christ took was becoming cursed by God with the curse that we deserve. Christ was punished on the cross spiritually for all of the sins that we committed. Think about that. 
and think about all of the people. It's not just your sin that was put on Christ. That would be bad enough. But think about all the people that have ever been saved, all the people that are saved now, and all the people that will be saved, and think about the weight of that sin for all of those people that came down hard upon Christ and God the Father punished the Son of God on the cross spiritually for that. No wonder he starts off saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he shrieks, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the weight of that sin became unbearable because, as it says elsewhere, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And it was unbearable for him as his relationship with the Father for the first time ever in eternity past or the present had been broken. He became cursed for us, taking what we deserve and what we deserve completely. And he's the only one that could pay for all of it, all of our sins. And so he paid the price and because of that, we have freedom. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and dead meaning absolutely helpless, in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, get that, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us um, <clears throat> with its legal uh, demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The cross is where all of this was settled for you and on your behalf. He became a curse for you and he gave you his righteousness and you became free in Christ the moment you trusted him. But the transaction took place way back on the cross of Calvary. And number four, Gentiles received the blessing and the promise. The blessing and the promise. This is something that the Jews held very dear. We're the chosen people. Well, now we find out when we read Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9 that even Gentiles like us can claim the title of being the chosen people of God, the elect of God. Uh, those kind of people. Well, that didn't make the Jews real happy and they didn't like that and they didn't want to share that particular title. But that's exactly what happened to us. And they would say, well, we are the seed of Abraham. And we can say we are too, not physically, but spiritually we are because we have believed God and it was counted to us as righteousness just as it was for Father Abraham. And so uh, verse 14 Christ died so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, and we do that through faith. So sinful human beings can be acceptable to God because they are in Christ. And the blessings that God has promised in his covenants come upon us. And sinful humans can be forgiven and actually amazingly indwelt by God, by God himself. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Gentiles. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if I were to tell you today, if you were to ask me, why do you think you're going to heaven? I would not use the word I or me in my testimony. I would say simply because of what Jesus has done for me and because of what he has promised. And uh, I receive that by grace through faith. I did use the word I one time in there, but you notice the thrust of it was not I walked an aisle or I prayed a prayer or I've done better or I got rid of sin, but the emphasis is on what Christ has done for me. So uh, the old hymn says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And that's from the hymn, Rock of Ages, great hymn. And uh, we have to remember that because we forget sometimes we have not done anything to contribute to our salvation except give God the sin. But he has contributed paying for the sin, taking the curse of God and giving us his righteousness. And so we rest upon him. So that's why we don't want to mix law with grace because when we start trying to obey the law, we have to obey all of it. This is why it kind of tickles me when people want to pick and choose certain verses out of the Old Testament and try to impose them upon other people, but they ignore a whole lot of other ones. No, it's an all or nothing thing if you come by the law. And I have nothing in my hands to bring simply to thy cross I cling. Well, thank you for your time. And may the Lord bless you, those of you who are watching to keep up with your class and those of you who are teaching. May the Lord bless you and give you understanding by his grace and by his spirit of what this most important lesson teaches us today. So we'll see you next week and uh, it'll be in August. And uh, maybe the Lord will be kind and send us some rain and maybe a cool front. But if not, we'll keep on praising him, won't we? Okay, God bless you and thank you again for your time.